0: The man has been to every country on Earth, and both poles. That puts Lee Abamonte in a tiny club of global explorers, and he's got a bunch of stories to tell. The most interesting woman in the world. That's the impressive title that Outside Magazine bestowed on Kelly Edwards, modern adventurer, travel host, mountain climber, deep water diver, and pilot
1: having a passenger in the plane with you for the very first time and that you tricked them into getting in the plane in the first place because you say you were (laughs) taking them to lunch. Oh, I'm taking you to lunch. Well, why are we at the airport? Because I'm going to fly us there, that's why. You have that kind of friend. (laughs) And then literally going into an emergency situation, having to rock my wings, making sure I'm communicating with the tower because they can't hear me and landing the plane immediately. I mean, I've had so many experiences, but it does not stop me from always getting back up there because if you've ever felt What it's like to have the yoke in your hand in an aircraft and know that that plane is going where you want it to go it's a power that you never want to really push
2: for me the greatest moment of my life and i really mean this was reaching the south pole to to be at a latitude line and to think where you are on the world you know it's just like holy shit. every single thing for me is up you know and this i felt the same way when i went to the north pole and i'm like this is so cool and everything on earth is below me right now. And I'm, uh, you know, still one of a handful of people. Uh, I think it's like four or five people in history have been to every country in both polls.
0: Okay, Antarctica just moved higher up my list of places that I want to visit. If you've longed for the carefree days just taking off or somewhere exploring changing latitude and attitude, I'm right there with you. Both my guests, Kelly Edwards and Leah Bamante, have such passion and curiosity. Talking to them reminded me how important, how vital travel has been to me and to Jennifer. So if you feel like being transported and inspired to seek new experiences just as soon as safer days return, you're going to enjoy meeting them. Kelly is a pioneer who's building her empire She was the first black woman to host her own travel TV series, Mysterious Islands. She's become an influential force in travel journalism. Kelly fully embraces any adventure, great and small, that she can think of. Well, Kelly, I'm so excited to talk with you and hear your ideas and your experiences and your messages to would-be travelers. But I got to say first, we probably could have done this podcast recording at the summit of a 14,000-foot peak in Summit County, Colorado, because we miss each other by one day in Breckenridge this summer, and we both share a passion for mountains. So maybe another yes. time, right?
1: Absolutely. I'll meet you at any 14er you're ready to summit. I'm there. Let's do it.
0: <laughs> the passion for mountains. I mean, like you, I grew up in Illinois. There were no mountains nearby. None. But I know you, you've talked about that moment when you realized that, mountain scenery and being in mountains was going to be important to you.
1: Absolutely. It was when I was leaving Chicago as a young child with my mother headed to California on the Greyhound bus. And as you said, there are no mountains anywhere near Chicago. And so as a young child to see mountains for the first time, it was literally one of the most memorable and powerful experiences in my childhood. And It totally shaped me. When I saw them for the first time, I pointed to them and I said, mom, those look like buried brontosauruses because of the (laughs) huge hump. That's what I thought a mountain was. And my mom said, no, those are called mountains, Kelly. I thought they were buried dinosaurs. And I was just so fascinated at their presence, at their, I, I can't even find the word. To, to describe what it's like to see something that is literally so monumental when all you've seen your young life is city blocks and skyscrapers. You know, a lot of Chicagoans, especially where I come from, you know, living on the south side of Chicago, as close as we are to Lake Michigan, you'd be surprised at how many people have never even been to, to Lake Michigan, to the beach. So for me to be taken out of that element and to see the world and the landscape from Chicago to California, I knew that I had to have a place and a connection to the new landscapes I was seeing.
0: Mountains taught me to have big goals because you see them, you think, oh my God, that is so humongous. Mm
2: -hmm. Maybe
0: someday I could get up there. Then you realize that, I mean, literally a couple of weeks later, we were on top of them. I thought, wait a minute, let's not view these things as so far off or insurmountable. You can do it. You just don't even know what you don't know about it yet, and if you open yourself up. Life-changing experiences traveling fascinate me. Sounds like you had one on that airplane. What other things come to mind where you, in, in a lightning bolt, sort of altered your perspective or, or saw beauty that was just so moving that it was kind of burned into your brain forever?
1: I'd have to say, it's going to sound so simple, but it, it meant a lot to me. It was the first time I had saw my dad, my stepfather, leave the sand in California and walk into the ocean and swim. And when I say he disappeared down the shoreline current and came up, for me as a child, it looked like 20 minutes later and he was fearless. And to see how powerful the ocean was and that he blended so magnificently with it it, I became fascinated with the ocean as well, but my fascination did not allow me to step foot and start swimming in the ocean until I was older because it is incredibly powerful. And so I find between the mountains and the ocean, these things that have such dynamics and prowess and presence that they, they really did change me. And so I believe that day that I saw my dad walk into the ocean and swim and saw the beauty of the ocean, I said, this is, the world is made of 80% water. Where else can I go and have this moment? You know?
0: And now you're a deep water scuba diver.
1: Exactly. (laughs) I went from literally being stuck on the sand to going to the depths of the ocean, looking for shipwreck dives, diving with whale sharks free diving. I love, I love the ocean because there's so much about it that's unknown and the mystery of it, it keeps drawing me back. I'm a person I'm a, who loves to explore. I'm an explorer at heart. And so anything that there's still questions, I'm always seeking the answer.
0: I think for me, a life-changing moment was seeing, because I'm a diver as well, I'm a little rusty, I gotta get back and do more of it because it's easy to let the years go by and you realize that um, you haven't been in the water in a while, but you know, seeing a shark, doing a night dive and seeing a, a moray eel kind of weird. I mean, those are things, I think they're so charged and they're so exciting that you you literally, I could go right back there in a second. I'm sure you've had experiences like that underwater too.
1: Oh, absolutely. I swam with the whale shark in Broome, Australia uh, late last year in 2019. And it was massive. It was massive. And that same day, I swam with a humpback whale, which I had no idea it could move that fast. Mm. The way it turned around and whipped towards me, I literally almost like lost my breath. Like, holy smokes. You realize- It came over
0: to check you out. It, it came right at you?
1: Came right towards me. <laughs> and I thought it was uh, the day was going to be over. <laughs> that was going to be the end of me. But- you know, the creatures are so magnificent. And I love, really, really, really love having these encounters with animals in their natural habitats. It really doesn't get any better than that. Whether it's on land, sea, air, no birds. I don't want any birds to fly by the plane. That's always a hazard, however. <laughs> but, you know, I spend a lot of time in the great outdoors. And so I've come across bear, moose. I've seen wolves, you know, foxes. And I'm always just in awe. It's pretty incredible.
0: I can relate. You you mentioned the skies. I I wanted to go there next because besides being a a scuba diver, you're also a pilot. So being in the skies or underwater, there's some things that they share in common, I think. But being detached from terra firma in a great way, what is it about that experience that um, in the moment you love, but also maybe changes your perspective from when you're back on the ground?
1: Sure. I'll say the most powerful thing for me about being in the air is the sense of freedom, right? The freedom that I have to take myself where I choose to go, the freedom of looking at the world below from a new perspective. The freedom of flight, uh, feeling like a bird in a way you know, that bird's eye view is truly unparalleled. And I'm not at 30,000 feet in the clouds, you know, like on a commercial airliner. I fly a lot of general aviation aircrafts like Cessnas, Piper Cherokees, Cirrus, Icon A5, where I'm at 6,500, 7,500 feet. And I'm seeing the mountains, the desert, the shoreline. And I also have my seaplane rating so I can also land on the water. And so that ability to be in the air oh my gosh, it was the best thing that I've done for my life and a few of my friends who think that uh, they can just call me up and take them somewhere. Hold on, buddy. Hold on.
0: <laughs> Sky Uber. No, I, I think that's cool. You, you've, you've taken some small planes into some treacherous air and how much of it was that adrenaline rush? Do you do you think you have that component in you? I mean, it, it, was it uh, unintentionally an adventure or did you seek that out?
1: So I seek adventure for sure. However, in an airplane, (laughs) you have to respect the air. You have to respect the limitations of what the aircraft is capable of. And I intend on having a very long life or as long as I'm meant to be on this earth. And so I'm not a fool. (laughs) So the times where I've had situations have definitely, while you can check the weather and you'll have the weather on your, um, you know, the what the tools that I use to know what it's like where I'm headed. I will say that I've had some surprises and they are scary. I mean, I remember flying in the Aleutian chain, um, headed out to Nikolski, Alaska, and the weather said, I don't care that you have a place to be. I don't care. I'm gonna turn you around two, three, four, five times. Because right now I'm running this thing. And so I literally was headed from Dutch Harbor to Nikolski, Alaska for a shoot. And we literally had to turn around, I think, three or four times. We just could not get over there until the weather cooperated. And, you know, I can say as a person who, you know, also flies solo a lot, I've had times where I've had avionics go out, which means I cannot communicate to air traffic control towers or other pilots being in the airplane by yourself, trying to fix a system is not fun, (laughs) you know? So I have to trim the plane out, make sure I'm straight and level um, trying to literally become like an aircraft mechanic in the middle of the sky. Not fun. So I've also had times where, you know, I'm taking off and, You can, you know, lose an alternator and have to go into an emergency procedure, having a passenger in the plane with you for the very first time and that you tricked them into getting in the plane in the first place because you said (laughs) you were taking them to lunch. Oh, I'm taking you to lunch. Well, why are we at the airport? Because I'm going to fly us there. That's why you have that kind of friend. (laughs) And then literally going into an emergency situation, having to rock my wings, making sure I'm communicating with the tower because they can't hear me and landing the plane immediately. I mean, I've had so many experiences, but it does not stop me from always getting back up there because if you've ever felt what it's like to have the yoke in your hand in an aircraft and know that that plane is going where you want it to go, it's a power that you'd never want to relinquish.
0: I'm with you on flying adventurous places. I've had lots of, um, unintentionally adventurous flights and small planes, but not, not at the controls. I'm, I'm good with someone else doing the control. You said <laughs> something though, that, that, I think it's important for all people who love nature, you, you, you have a passion for it, but you respect the power of it. Whether you're in the skies, under the water, I don't ever use the term conquering a mountain. I don't think you conquer a right. mountain, you visit it, you pay respect to it and you leave. But nature is not something to be overcome or conquer. We are nature, it's all together. And I, yeah. I think it's, it's cool that you've had that, that lesson reinforced you know, under the water and in the skies and on land too. You've been able to turn your passion into a, a fast growing empire, which is so cool. Uh, well done with that. It's going to get bigger and bigger. I, I, I just know. But Thank you. how would you describe to people, general question, the power of travel, if you had to put it into words?
1: I would say that the power of travel is humbling, it's necessary. And when I say travel, I don't want people to think that that means going across the world. Travel can be the town that you live in, exploring that, the town next door, the state over. It's connecting with communities, cultures, people, opposite genders of who you are to learn what makes the world go round. And for me, it's really changed the woman that I am as far as how I pay respect to my fellow man, my fellow human. Um, It also makes me check how I move in my own life. Um, When you go to some of these places that I've been and you see they only have one water spigot for the entire town, yet I turn on my water and it's running for five minutes before I get in it, you know, I have to say there's people who don't have water. Why is your water on for so long before you step in it? Um, You don't want to finish that plate of food but there's people who would do anything to have that last bite. And so for me, it's, it balances me and my day-to-day actions because I've traveled and been able to experience so much of the world, especially being a young Black woman coming from the South Side of Chicago and San Bernardino, California. These are not places that are very well known for um, exploration and adventure, to say the least. And so I don't take it for granted. Um, it's changed my life. I've seen it change other people's lives. I've introduced a lot of people to travel. I've purchased a lot of passports for Christmas for my friends. I feel like, no, I don't want to give you a pair of shoes. I'm going to give you this tool that you can see what you're made of in the world. And I've had people on trips with me and on trips that they've taken themselves and say, why didn't I do this earlier? And I say, at the end of the day, it's never too late to start.
0: That's an awesome message. I I think that it is important to remember that adventure, you know, need not be exotic or far flung. Adventure just requires you to pack your curiosity, right? And be open to learning things and seeing things. And you can have adventures within the city you live, right? If you Absolutely. just op- open your mind to What's the most mundane place that you visited that you ended up having an adventure and, and some great memories of?
1: Hmm, I'd say I wasn't expecting too much out of like Joshua tree really because it looks like there's just like a bunch of Joshua trees if that's what they're called everywhere out there and a lot of a lot of rock formations and it's really really hot. Oh my gosh. I went camping out there overnight. I had never seen the stars so clear, so close to Los Angeles.
0: Did you have a spiritual experience out there? in the? It desert? was
1: incredible. A- absolutely. Without,
0: without any assistance. I mean, just a natural spiritual experience. Uh, exactly. No, no <laughs>
1: totally natural. And I mean, when I say natural, just me, myself and me, no, uh-huh. no additives. But I had a moment out there between <laughs> the hiking between looking at the beautiful rock formations between being fascinated about how creatures survive in this climate. Um, I was really, really shocked because for me, I love to find, I need the trees. I want to see the moss. I need the streams and the rivers and hike to the lake, to the glaciers. And so to be in a desert, I was like, Oh, this could be okay. No. As soon as that sunset, I said, oh, this place is gorgeous and you can find stunning things and, and the things that you least expect. And so that's something that caught me a bit bit off guard because I usually go to places specifically looking for the, I know the beauty's there already, you know,
0: you're such a great storyteller. You're painting a picture. I'm going to leave the city right now. I'd like to hang up. (laughs) I just want to go out and be in nature after hearing that. I love it. What, what do you say to friends that you buy passports for or just people you come in contact with and they say, Kelly, without judging them, uh-huh. I, I want to just be comfortable. I just want to relax. I'm fearful of this. Or if they don't use the word fear, they're just reluctant. They don't want to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And if that's the case, you can have nice vacations, but you may be shutting yourself off from experiences. Do you have a message when you hear that?
1: Yes. I say all the time. Everything you want is on the other side of fear, for one. So if there's something out there that you're interested in doing, but you just don't know how to begin, let's look into that. And life begins at the end of your comfort zone. Okay? Amen. It really does. And so while I also love to lay on the beach and have a nice beverage and listen to the waves lapping amongst the sand. That's fine. However, there's so often so much more there for you only if you're willing to explore and see it with your eyes. I don't force adventure on anyone. People are seeing through my journey that they can do it too, right? And it makes them curious. The only thing I'm trying to do is spark curiosity. And if Mm -hmm. I can do that, your brain will do the rest of the work for me because it'll be in your subconscious of, man, I keep saying no to that, but it sure keeps popping up in my thoughts, maybe it's time to try. And I tell people all the time, all I do is just try everything. I'm not an expert at anything. I don't know it all. I'm consistently and constantly learning, and you can do the same thing too. We both wake up and we put two feet on the ground to start our day. What are you going to do with yours?
0: I classify travel as either it's a vacation, R&R, like you said, lay on a beach, a trip, you go other places, you experience things, and then an adventure. And I think it's nice to have a balance of all three, right? Whatever yeah. works for you. We all need to chill out. It need not be demanding, but it's also neat to just go somewhere. Do you ever have the notion you want to go to some big international airport and look at the flight board? You've packed versatile clothing, you pack lightly, and just look at the board and go, I'm going to go to Istanbul, or I'm going to go to Bangkok. I've never done that, but my wife and I have talked about doing that at some point. Maybe we will.
1: (laughs) That would be amazing and an incredibly expensive ticket the day of. However- (laughs) You got to buy one
0: way. That's it. That's the whole key is one way.
1: (laughs) Hey, I think that would be an absolute amazing experience to do. And you're sparking a thought in me right now that maybe that'll be- Who knows where I'll end up? What's available? And hey, especially right now, I mean, we have such limited choices. It's like, okay, we've got these five places there (laughs) on my way. I want to
0: get to that in a second. But I also want to ask you, why do you think that the travel experience and maybe specifically the adventure travel experience has all been filtered through a male lens and specifically a white male lens until you? Ah! why did it take so damn long and how does how do you feel about being a pioneer in that area
1: i love talking about this chris (laughs) (laughs) i knew you did (laughs) so to answer your first question how do i feel about adventure being through a white male lens i think it's a tragedy and that is because when you think about the explorers of the world they are not all white males if you think about the Inca Trail. The Native people who lived there were running that trail. When you think about America, the Native Americans knew this land before anyone came here. I think about Matthew Henson, who was the first person to reach the North Pole, who was also a Black man. Where's his story? Why don't we hear more about him? When we think about aviation and pilots, we hear about the Wright brothers and Howard Hughes. But what about Bessie Coleman? We hear about Amelia Earhart, right? But Bessie Coleman was the first black woman to get her pilot's license in 1921, a year before Amelia Earhart. And so there are so many different faces that are having adventures. And yet the narrative between media, marketing, television, film, all show up in the face of the white male at the top of Everest with a chiseled jaw looking off the side. And I'll tell you, I've been to some of these same mountains that they've been, and I look nothing like them at all. And so why it's taken so long for a person like myself to appear in this space is because media was not comfortable with the truth that there are other people because they were appealing to their core consumer because that is what's been ingrained in our society And so when people started to become aware of me, I can't tell you how many times I was told, wow, we love you. We've never seen anyone like you on our network. You're also doing more things than people are on our network, but we don't know how our audience will take to you. Do you know, do you know how that, that, that feels? It's very frustrating. But what I did instead is I came up with a plan. I said, okay, you guys aren't ready. I stay ready. I'm going to continue having my adventures. I'm going to continue exploring by land, air, and sea as a diver, mountaineer, outdoors woman, advanced open water diver, and I'm going to start getting attention from other people who find it interesting and want to give me press, and then you guys will come calling back, and it won't be me looking for you. It'll be you looking for me, and that's what happened. So I took my power back because I was trying to ask for permission to be Represent it and have presence and instead said, No, I don't need to ask permission for that. I'm already here. This is also my world to explore too.
0: What's been the most gratifying reaction to that position? Because no one needs permission to travel, but if you see things constantly filtered through a middle-aged white guy lens, it may not spark your imagination in the same way for some folks that, that seeing you do these things does. So what's been the best feedback you've gotten in terms of Kelly, you've really Open my eyes, or you change my perspective, or I feel liberated now to do things that I didn't before.
1: Sure. I've had a few examples. There was a fifty-five year old woman who came up to me and said she started taking swimming lessons because she saw me swimming in the water on television. I'm like, I'm sorry. She's like, Yeah, no, I I I it's time for me to learn how to swim. And so I started taking lessons because I saw you. I have parents writing letters to me on behalf of little girls saying that my daughter saw you um, on television or in this magazine and she now knows that she can be an explorer too and that she can fly planes too. Um, I had a little girl who was picked on um, as a tomboy uh, and and on her block and the mom reached out to me to say that I went to show my daughter, sorry I don't want to cry, but my daughter was getting picked on. By these boys, because of her loving being outside in the outdoors, and I wanted to show her women doing these things too. And so I googled you, and I brought you up. And she said, "Oh my gosh, mommy, she's she's a girl like me. I can do I can do these things. It's not just for boys." So when you get that type of feedback from young women, people of color, people who never thought they can do any of these things and just my presence changes their perspective, it's been very powerful. I, I never set out to be a role model, um, but I'm proud that through m- me living my life and leading by example, people know that it is not inaccessible for them because it truly is. And I don't want other people to even to have to wait on me to do something to think that they can do it. I say, chart your own path, you know, do what makes you happy, do what you're curious about. And then you'll find out who you are as a person. Don't even be better than me. I say all the time, don't stop where I stop. That's just a foundation. Shoot for the stars. Like literally someone become an astronaut. (laughs) Thank you.
0: (laughs) That's so powerful. I think it's because you didn't set out to do it. You didn't set out to be a a pioneer necessarily or a role model. It just came from a place of authenticity. That's what I think makes it more powerful and a stronger connection with people. That's that's cool. Um, Most interesting woman in the world. (laughs) That's some title to have. Oh, boy. Could, could, Could create some pressure in the way that a comedian feels the need to be funny every time he's around strangers. I mean, what do you find most interesting about yourself? Not, a, not an easy question for a lot of people to answer.
1: Not at all. Holy smokes. <laughs> I've never even thought about that. But if I had to right now, I think the most interesting thing about myself is that I have escaped a narrative that was created for me. I've, I literally said, I am this and I am not that. I'm not that. There's no way I'm going to allow anyone to pigeonhole me, to stereotype me, to think that I'm not capable of something. I'm going to show up and learn what I'm supposed to do here with my time on earth. And so I think the most fascinating thing about me is that I have literally created my own narrative without the guidance of anyone who's done it prior to me the way I'm doing
0: these things. And I get the sense that you're still creating. There's still more dimensions. Oh that's, my that's, that's gosh, if cool. you only yeah. knew. <laughs>
1: can't
0: <laughs> wait to see what the next projects are, what the new dimensions are, because yes. uh, uh, talking to you, it feels like things are limitless. But unfortunately, I do want to get around to the limits that have been placed on us, because travel has been put on pause. Everybody knows that it's been difficult to go anywhere for a while, and they're very uncertain about when and how that's going to look in the future. So I know you get asked a lot this, but what what would you say to someone who said, Kelly, you know, I've been to these places before, but I'm worried about going back, or I've never had the chance to experience these places. I meant to, but now I haven't been able to. How would you allay those concerns for people in in the post-pandemic, assuming we can get a vaccine and things will be getting back to um, closer to what they were before.
1: Sure. So I'd like to preface that with the fact that I have been traveling during the pandemic um, very cautiously, very safely. And there are ways to navigate um, while being considered of your own health and that of others. And if we're talking you know, post-pandemic, I say if anything with the quarantine and having to stay put, that is the time to pay attention to your bucket list, right? If there's a place you want to go and it's open, as we can see that this world can be turned upside down in a minute, do not wait a year longer to explore. Um, Look at the safety precautions there, respect the rules in place there, respect the airplane rules. You know, there's still people who don't want to keep on a mask while they're flying. And I just really wish people would realize it's not always necessarily about you. It's also about the person next to you. This is a time to understand um, how to come together as a community for your fellow mankind so that we can literally get out of this. So for me, I literally have not only a face mask, a face shield, I have a full body suit um, I have hand sanitizer wipes. I have a key that is attached to my keychain that i don 't have to touch any doors, even bathroom doors and so I am fully equipped to to still travel because I take the necessary precautions. so if you think you 're just going to pack your bag and head to the airport like old times know that the that's no longer the case
0: let let's talk about the abstract world beyond all this, and I'm sure you get this question, but it's always interesting to me to think about adventures you haven't had but you've dreamt of mm. and what uh, what one or two of those might be and and mm-hmm. and what your expectations are for those places
1: absolutely so I want to go to Antarctica really, really bad because it's not an easy destination to reach and the wildlife is incredible. I want to see the glaciers. Um, I would love to do some sort of scientific research down there. I know they have several stations um, that are looking into the effects of, you know, global warming and pollution on our system. I mean, on our, in our world, you know, you would be surprised at how many of the plastics that are in the ocean end up all the way down in Antarctica and are being trapped. Um, in in the ice and in the glaciers, and so I would love to have my Bill Nye the Science Guy moment down in Antarctica. Um.
0: <laughs> hey, can you, are there airstrips down there? Forget my ignorance. Can you can you get a plane and get down there and, and see Antarctica from the air?
1: I'm sure you can because they definitely have airstrips down there. Um, it won't be in a little Cessna. I think I'll need something <laughs> with a little bit more power, um, just because uh, that is also very much a no man's land in a lot of ways. So you want to be able to have some, some power to, you know, carry um, some extra gear with you to say the least, to be prepared for anything. I'd also love to go to, to Borneo. Um, That is a place where they have so many unknown species, tons of well-known species. It's, it's the jungle. And I think I'm Laura Croft. (laughs) <laughs> and Indiana Jones, and so I want to be in the jungle with my machete, traversing the land, and you know put these survival skills I have to test in an extreme environment like that
0: <laughs> i've seen some posts with you with with uh skeletons i 'm not sure that you're, you're the tomb raider, but i've seen you <laughs> i've seen you in some tombs so that's that's so inspiring it 's so much fun i I hope the woman from South Side Chicago gets to the South Pole someday. Yes. I, I know it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really cool and interesting and inspiring to see uh, what you've got up your sleeve next, and uh, I've really enjoyed this time. Thank, th- just, keep, just keep being you, Kelly, because uh, it, it's exciting to observe.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate your time, and you are amazing in so many ways, so it's been an honor to speak to you as well.
0: Kelly is one of the favorite people that I met doing this podcast so far. You can check out her website and blog, kellysetgo.com. Got a podcast with travel and leisure, Let's Go Together, and her Instagram posts bring a smile to my face, at Kelly Edwards. She spells Kelly, K E L L E. Lee Abamante lives in New York, and during the shutdown months, he explored the city, just about every square foot of it, on foot, his appetite for travel, all kinds of travel, is incredible. His knowledge is encyclopedic. It's actually kind of scary. If you need a Mexican restaurant in Morocco, Lee probably has a top three for you. Before meeting him, I thought I was a travel junkie. On a long flight last year, I grabbed the map from an airline magazine and counted off 66 countries that I've been to, not including autonomous territories like the Canary Islands or St. Martin. Alaska is the only state that I haven't visited, and it's very high on my to-do list. But Lee has every passport stamp that you can collect. He didn't start out with a checklist, but eventually he figured, why not? Checking off that last country was a brush with death he would not recommend, but it's an unbelievable story to have and a good place to start. So, Lee, you visited every U.N.-recognized country except one, and the one is Libya, and you choose to go at a pretty interesting time in the history of that country. Tell me the story of the country that finally let you check off all of them.
2: Yeah, so back in uh, 2011, uh, I had been to about uh, 190 or so countries, and there's 193, so I went on this big trip, and I was going to go to some of the more romantic destinations like Somalia, Algeria, Sudan, and Libya, and at that time, I was able to get to three of those four, and then the Arab Spring happened, and Libya was a no-fly zone all of a sudden, uh, you know, all the drama that went on down there, and uh, I wasn't able to get there in March when I went, so... In August 2011, I got an email from a guy I know in Cairo, and uh, he's like, yeah, I think you can get into the, uh, the border of Egypt and Libya and kind of sneak in there because there's nobody guarding the border, basically. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, cool, and I literally got on a plane uh, at New York and just flew to Cairo and then flew out to this remote desert outpost called Mersamutra, which no one's ever heard of. It's about 300 miles from the border, right? And I get there. I have no idea what I'm going to do. And I, I literally had like $5,000 in my pocket. And I figured I was going to have to pay somebody something. And uh, I like don't speak but three words of Arabic. And I get off the plane. And I had no idea. And I'm like, this guy over here, he's wearing a, a like a you know, a sport coat with a Libyan rebel lapel pin. So maybe he speaks English. So I go over to him, uh, sir, do you speak English? He goes, yeah. And I go, here's what I'm trying to do. And he looks at me like I got seven heads. He's like, what? You want to go into Libya? Like, what? And uh, and I was like, can you translate to the taxi driver? Have him drive me to the border? And he goes, well, then what are you going to do? I'm like, I have no idea. And then he goes, all right, listen, kid, you're going to come in the car with me. My brother's coming from Tobruk, Libya with a minivan and we're going to drive across the border and we're going to smuggle you in. And I'm like, oh, that sounds great, man. Awesome. Yeah. It didn't even occur to me that this was weird, right? I was just like so excited. And so we go fast forward 300 miles. Okay, we're at the border with these two uh, Libyan guys who I'd never met before and we're in line at the uh, the border. Uh, we, we leave Egypt and we're in line at the border of Bolivia, right? Uh, you know, seemed normal, seemed normal, seemed normal. All of a sudden, we're about three or four cars back, about 30, 40 feet from the actual like border itself where you show the passports. But on the other side of the border, this big truck of Chinese smugglers trying to smuggle fake Marlboro cigarettes from libya into egypt because they didn't want to have to pay the egyptian tariff because there was no government in libya they thought they could smuggle it in without having to pay so you know seemed like a good idea right the only problem was the libyan rebels were at that point controlling the border where they hadn't been i guess prior and they started arguing about the payment blah 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 there was about 50 chinese guys on top of this truck and then there's probably i don't know 15 or 20 libyan rebels and they're all armed And then these guys just start shooting at each other and uh, on the other side of the border we're 30 40 feet away and all of a sudden the car gets hit three times and i'm in the back of this car with these people who i don't know and i'm like go, 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 you know, and, uh, go, go is
0: go in, go where they're
2: firing, like into the, no, 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 like, like just back, I'm like, back up, oh, get back out of back there. Back okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And the guy like slams on the, uh, on, on the gas, like backwards, hits the car behind him, like peels out, like basically into the desert, about a half a mile, I think. And meanwhile, I'm like ducking, but I'm also kind of like looking through the window, you know, to see what the hell's going on. And, uh, you know, we sat there for about three hours. Right. And uh, you can see like, you know, there's like dead people. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, the guy goes to me, okay, I think we can go now. And I'm like, yeah, okay, man, sure. Here I am in the middle of no man's land between Egypt and Libya. And uh, we go back in line. And uh, we're about, you know, four or five cars back again. And the guy goes, okay, give me your passport. And I was like, okay, here's my passport. And they whisper some stuff to his his brother in Arabic. And then he turns to me and he goes, all right, kid, here's the deal. And I'm like, okay. He goes, you're going to be a humanitarian dentist going into Libya to do dental work for the Libyan people. And I'm like, dude, I'm not a dentist. Like, what are you talking about? He goes, it doesn't matter. Nobody in Libya has straight teeth, so just smile point to your teeth. And that's like all you need to do. <laughs> so I give him my passport. We get to the, uh, to the border. He whispers some stuff in Arabic to the other guy. The guy looks at my passport, he looks at me and he smiles and he points to his teeth and he just goes, welcome to Libya. And I did the exact same thing. <laughs> and then I was in Libya.
0: <laughs> I mean, there's about three different spots there where number one, they said, sneak across the border before you left. Yeah. You, you thought good idea. Then you hear the plan and it's like, the the would smuggle you in, and you were still all in for that. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. then there's been <laughs> carnage at the border, and you got to loop back and go in there. Did you ever stop to think, what happens once you get inside Libya? I mean, the goal is to get in the country. What the hell happens once you cross the border? I mean, isn't that still a really dangerous place to be?
2: Oh, 100%. But I figure, you know, I've been in war zones before. Like, i have been in Iraq. i have been in Afghanistan. i have been in uh Iran, Somalia, Syria, Yemen. So I was like, okay, I got this. I just got to get across, and then I can kind of figure it out. And this guy really seemed to know what he was talking about. It was like a sixth sense. Like I felt comfortable with the guy, even though I didn't know him. I could tell, like he knew what he was doing. Turns out the guy's like a UN dissident, right? He hadn't been in Libya in forty-one years. Uh, he left when Gaddafi took over, and he hadn't seen his family in that long. He was going back for the first time. Oh my in, god! Since like nineteen, uh, you know, sixty, whatever it was, and uh, and I'm like oh my God. And then he insists like that I come to his family's apartment and like, you know, meet everybody. And there was like 50 people in the apartment and none of them even cared that he was there. They all just wanted to like stare at me and like take pictures and like practice their English and ask me questions. It was like crazy, man. It was like one of those moments. If you don't put yourself in these absolutely ridiculous situations, you don't understand. But uh, it was just like one of those moments where you felt like humanity was was okay, you know.
0: Well, that's a great, happy ending. But did it ever occur to you you might be that guy that pops up on CNN, American citizen taken hostage, and now you become the focal point of some international incident, you know, and they have to try okay. to get you out of there? Oh, yeah, I
2: thought about that a few times. It wasn't, this wasn't the only time I thought that might happen, so, uh, yeah. But, I mean, in hindsight, it was, like, stupid, obviously, but at the same time, it makes a good story. It'll be chapter one of my book, and, uh, yeah, it's it's fun to tell, too.
0: <laughs> I mean, I love to talk to people about life-changing moments in travel, and they can take on different forms. They can be moments that after the fact, you realize, well, that was very important. My perspective was changed. I was a different person afterwards. And then there are also moments where you're aware of it in that second. Like you realize the minute you put your eyes on something, or there might be an aroma that you smell or, or someone that you meet that right now, this moment, I'm not going to be quite the same. I'm changed. I'm inspired in a new way. Give give me an example of of something right in the moment, other than being in a war zone, where you realized, wow, just take all this in because I'm not going to be quite the same after this.
2: Yeah, there's been a couple times where that's really happened to me. And when I say a couple, I mean like, Dozens for sure, and uh, but I'll go back to the first time it happened to me. I grew up in uh, Trumbull, Connecticut, and never traveled as a kid. My family didn't have any money, and uh, it was never a thing. I never even thought about it. You know, all I did was play sports, watch sports, hang out with my friends, and you know, I just wanted to not struggle like my parents. So I was just focused on like getting a degree and, and making money. Anyway, uh, I studied abroad my junior year in college. I went to the University of Maryland, and then I went out to London, and you know, I just remember getting off the plane in Heathrow and, uh, just hearing the voices. And then like, we were trying to get a cab. Right. And it was like one of those old school London black cabs. And, you know, it was like blew me away and they drive on the other side of the street in London, you know? And, uh, you know, this is September, 1998. It was actually the day Mark McGuire hit his 61st home run that year that I landed in London. I was freaked out that I was going to miss the end of the home run race. Cause I'm a huge baseball guy. And, uh, you know but then as soon as i landed i almost kind of forgot about it and i was in london and it just blew my mind and then 2 weeks later we took the channel to to paris you know what was crazy about paris they speak french in mm. france i've heard that yeah Un- <laughs> unbelievable to me at the time <laughs> and i was like oh my god this is just mind blowing stuff and uh, everything that i'd ever seen on tv or read in books i'm like i'm like living a book right now, or I'm like living one of these crazy TV travel shows that I, you know, uh, had seen on television as a kid. And it, it just was crazy. And, and that continued that whole year in Europe. And, um, that just changed my, my whole life, my whole perspective, everything.
0: I think the first time you lay eyes on Paris for a lot of people, it has an immediate connection. Um, yeah, I, I think you're like me. I, we didn't travel as a family. Glamorously. We didn't have a bunch of money. We loaded up the family in the station wagon and we drove around. And for me, as a kid a big life changing moment was eating lobster at a restaurant in Maine with the bib on i remember i had never had <laughs> lobster <laughs> before and they, they made it, my parents made a big deal out of it and there we were where you saw the live lobster and then you see it cooked the next thing you know it's on your plate and and visiting the kellogg's factory in battle creek michigan and taking a jeep tour through bison and the, the black hills of south dakota that's what we did i know there are lots of kids that are fortunate enough to take these big, exotic international trips, but maybe, maybe not having that as kids. And I talked to Kelly Edwards about this, another guest, and she felt the same way. We, you know, it just, we were never exposed to it. So you kind of sponge it up and you dive in with enthusiasm once you get a chance to do it when you're older.
2: Yeah, it was, I've never not appreciated anything I've ever done. Like every single time I travel, even now when I've been everywhere, I still appreciate everything. And I, I never take it for granted because it could have never happened. I mean, if I, uh, if I didn't go to abroad, I mean, who knows if I ever would have traveled. I mean, I'm sure I would have at some point in my life, but at the same time, it never would have been what ended up happening. And I was always, I always liked maps and I always read a lot as a kid about stuff. I liked history and I loved sports. So it all kind of like tied in when I went to Europe and then later in Australia and I, I got it really into Aussie rules football and things like F1 and then tennis and golf and especially these inter, uh, soccer, these international sports really kind of brought me to places that I wouldn't have gone. Are you someone that strikes up
0: conversations with the locals? Is that an important part for you to, to really get to know people or do you kind of keep to yourself?
2: Oh, no. God, yeah. No, I'm uh, I'm as outgoing as they come. And uh, I love talking. To That's part of international sports that I think is significantly better is that everyone kind of comes together and talks about it. And you said beer. I always call it the international language of beer because, <laughs> you know, everybody's just happy and having a good time. And uh, it's crazy, especially soccer and rugby. I, I think that those are the two most kind of communal games. Maybe not during a big soccer match when everybody's like on edge, but um, you know, before and after for sure and rugby just the whole match. I was going to
0: ask you about the rugby I wondered if rugby was one of your favorites because socially especially yeah. the party scene rug, rugby is right at the top
2: <laughs> yeah it's a bar, it's a barbarians game played by gentlemen as they say and uh, you know they act it you know on the, on the pitch but then they drink like gentlemen the fans after. are
0: not gentlemen though I, my no. experience with rugby fans are more barbarian than gentlemen and that's a beautiful yeah. thing when you can oh, yeah. yeah I mean sports and beer are two really big international languages you throw food in there and you've checked a lot of boxes. What I love about your philosophy is it's really, and, and people focus on the checklist and they focus on, Hey, can I get a good picture? Can I enhance my brand? Is it social media post ready? And, and that's not how you think. And I think that's, what's important about trying to explain far flung travel to people ha- have an experience. I mean, don't, don't view it as though you're accomplishing something, view it as though you're experiencing something and, and opening yourself uh, to something that is a little bit uncomfortable, and you haven't—it's—it's it's, different is good, right?
2: Yeah, it's funny. My uh, my favorite saying is to be a real traveler, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable, and uh, you know, for me. Uh, I've been in so many places and situations like that where I'm like, boy, this really sucks, but this is awesome at the same time, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and, and I love that. And uh, to, to me, there's nothing, nothing better. And you, you mentioned like people doing things for the checklist and stuff like that. I think it's okay to, you know, have a list of places that you want to go and, and do them, but you got to do stuff there. You have to like experience it and, and do the things that there are to do and talk to people who live there and experience it. That that's like the real experience. And, and for me, You know, I started doing all this stuff long before social media, and I just went to every country in the world because I wanted to. It wasn't like to impress anybody or to get on TV or, you know, do any of this stuff. I just did it because it was something I loved to do, and I just thought it'd be cool, and uh, I never thought it would, like, lead to anything work-wise or anything like that. It was just something I did, and uh, and now I I see people doing it different ways, and I'm like, all right, you know, to each their own, but for me, um, what you said is exactly correct for me comfortable
0: with being uncomfortable doesn't always extend to roughing it though right I have to admit that we travel pretty softly now I mean part of it is you see a great resort you want the best room you want to seek out the best meals I know when you started though like a lot of people you know it was backpacking it was it was going around Europe and it wasn't wasn't a five-star accommodations do you think it's important for people when they start out to do it rough first, or does it does it make a difference? Do they get a, a greater appreciation of the finer things? Not everybody can afford it, obviously. You, you some some travel that way because there was no other choice, and they just want to they want to see what they can on a shoestring budget. But did did you, did, did it make any difference to you that you did kind of start out doing it modestly? One million
2: percent. And I'm glad you asked that because I always say the way I travel evolved as I evolved. So like when I first left the country at 20 years old, I mean, you're a 20 year old kid. You're you're, you're dumb. You're young. You don't know anything. You just want to have fun. I was excited that I could drink without a fake ID in Europe, you know. So uh, for was me, it the whole
0: hostel thing? Was it the backpacking and the hostel and the you, yeah. sit, sitting in the back of the train with the chickens and stuff?
2: well in Africa yeah Uh, but the hostels in Europe I mean I basically my entire 20s were spent in hostels and it was like some of the best times of my life and uh, I wouldn't replace those for anything. You know, I didn't like the guy from like Norway who was snoring one of the 16 people in, in, in the room with me or he got up at four in the morning and was like hooking up with some girl or something like that, keeping you awake. And you're like, God dude, you know, but you didn't want to pay the extra dollar 50 a night to get the four person room, you know, because you figured you could have a couple extra beers with that money at that time.
0: <laughs> Would you ever do so, that again though? I mean, I'm, I am look, look, and you're, you're painting a romantic picture in the moment. Some of that stuff really Sucks. I've been in those rooms where people are snoring too, and you can't get to sleep. But I mean, now that you can stay anywhere, do you do you find it more romantic, or do you ever go back and just I'm, I'm going to find a little one star hotel that nobody's ever heard of and just kind of rock up there and, and grab a room?
2: Well, I mean, really, it depends where you go. I mean, because I still go to places where there's not like nice hotels, so you just kind of take what you can get. But um, you know, it's like that old saying, right? Travel is glamorous only in hindsight, and nothing really. Epitomizes that more than staying in hostels because everything about it goes against everything you want. <laughs> And know you should be able to achieve, but you love it anyway, and you keep doing it because of the party atmosphere, and you get to meet so many people, and it's cheap, right? Uh, but as you get older, you start to evolve, like what you like. And air conditioning is nice, and having your own bathroom is nice, and buffet breakfasts are nice, and you know things like that. Um, so again, it, it just it just depends. But would I go back and do it? Yeah, in a heartbeat, I would. And I have some friends that still like do it at 40 years old. Um, I haven't stayed, I'll be honest, I haven't stayed in the hospital. The last one was in Namibia in 2011, but uh, since then I've done a lot of camping, uh, you know, not necessarily by choice, um, but, uh, you know, I could do it if I had to, and I I also have great memories, so I also don't feel the need to.
0: Well put. We share a passion for Africa. Um, The first night I was in Africa was was in a tent, you know, on the ground in, in Tanzania, and You could hear the lions roaring in the distance and you could hear the hyenas munching on the bones at the edge of the camp. And I then graduated to the Singitas and the Londolosi's and the the finest accommodations I've ever stayed in, in the world are those top end African game lodges. But I think, you know, starting out that way and sort of feeling that kind of connection by literally sleeping on the ground was cool. Let me ask you about Africa, because I think that's, that's kind of a singular experience if wildlife speaks to you in that way. And, But my wife and I have had sort of life-changing, perspective-changing experiences the first time you find yourself in the bush and lay your eyes on a specific animal or whatever gives you that powerful feeling. What what was it for you that made you sort of fall in love with with, uh, the safari aspect of Africa, let's say that?
2: Yeah. Africa is like, it's hard to explain. Cause like, I've spent over two years of my life in Africa, you know, and all the trips I've done and it just like gets inside you. Like Africa, I've been on 77 safaris, literally 77 safaris at this point, And every single time I just want more because even though it might be the same animals, it's always different. Wait a minute. And, is, is this uh,
0: 77 game drives or 77
2: separate trips? 77 game drives okay, game drives okay. but in every major park in africa and a lot okay. of private ones too Look, So if you're taking
0: 77 different trips to africa I would, wait a minute
2: <laughs> i might i might be around there though uh total I, I don't even know but uh yeah you know it's you mentioned the first time the first safari I ever went on was in kruger national park and it was me and my friend mike and we did the camping thing because it was cheap and sure. uh this is like 2003 i think it was or something and um we just got our own tent. It was this little piece of shit tent, right? And uh, <laughs> mine got covered in like red ants or something like that. And I was like, oh, crap, man. I'm not sleeping in that shit. And uh, so I go over to my friend's tent, and I go, dude, move over. I'm sleeping with you. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, look at my tent. He's like, oh, God, it must be bad if you want to sleep in this little tent with me. So um, that was my first safari experience. And, and as much as that sucked, as soon as I saw like my first rhinoceros, I was just like, oh my God, this is Africa, you know, and it just blew me away. And, you know, as I've evolved over the years and I have continued to go back to Africa many times, uh, you know, and I've stayed at, like you said, some of the best safari lodges in the world. And, And there is no better accommodation on earth than some of these top safari lodges. And people are surprised when you say that, but that's because they haven't Seen it. And, uh, you know, just being in the bush and some of these tented camps and just amazing, like, encampments they're just so, so cool. And, uh, you have your own like little plunge pool and all of a sudden you're just there. And then a hippo rolls by you at like nine o'clock at night as you're just having a cocktail, you know, you're like, Holy cow, this is so cool.
0: You get the questions. It's difficult to answer. Somebody is not well-traveled. They want that first experience and they ask you, where should I go? where should I begin my, my European expl- exploration, for example, and get that question a lot, where would you tell them to go? What, would, what, what, is, the, what is the answer? If they had to just pick one or two countries.
2: I, honestly, I, I think the way I did it was probably the best way possible, at least for me, like going to London, because it eliminates a lot of your fears. They speak English. Uh, it's definitely Europe, but it has a lot of the similarities of home. You feel comfortable. I always say it's the perfect place to get your big toe wet in Europe and uh, and really just in traveling. And then from there after a week or so, and that's easy. From London, you can get anywhere. You know, you can take the train, you can take a boat, you can fly literally anywhere in uh, in Europe. And it's just easy and, and they make it easy. London's so tourist friendly and, and the rest of the UK uh, it's just wonderful, right, or go over to Ireland, you know, it's very similar but different as well. But uh, and then going into France and just kind of experiencing something like that or going down to Spain, going to Barcelona and just seeing ha- the attitude down there and how, how happy people are and how festive things are and like how late people eat dinner, you know, it's just like, you're like, you eat dinner at midnight, what? You know, it's, uh, it's, and you come home at 7 in the morning from the bar and you're like, wait a minute, hold on, I'm going to sleep all day now. But that's what the Spanish people do, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy.
0: All right, other end of the spectrum, what countries when when someone brings up I want to go here, what do you think? You don't want to puncture their enthusiasm. You want them to have their own experience, but are there places where you go, "Eh, think think again or reconsider?"
2: Yeah. You know, I, I never, I always try to be positive with that type of stuff because like, maybe I just didn't have the best experience. Cause no matter where you go, someone's going to be like, Oh my God, it was my favorite place in the world. And you're like, "Eh, I thought it was okay. You know what I mean? But maybe they had a life changing experience that you didn't have. Like maybe you had bad weather. That's, that's something that will ruin your trip or you lost your luggage or, you know, whatever. Um, but in, in terms of your question, I would say, uh, I don't really know. I think China is underwhelming, uh, you know, except for certain areas of it and the, uh, the English factor can be really hard there. But really that's, you know, in terms of big tourist attractions, that's really the only one I think that people come away underwhelmed. And uh, for me, I've been to China so many times now, I actually love it. And whenever I go, I just pick random cities because they have like 120 cities with over a million people. So, you know, I just pick random cities and go now.
0: Hey, you getting away from people, I think has always been important to me. I know you've been to Antarctica for someone that, that hasn't been there. that really can't imagine going there. What was the feeling? So you, you step off. I, you take a boat, you step off onto the continent of Antarctica and you, you experience it. And what, what were you seeing, feeling, smelling,
2: First of all, I want to tell you that there's no better place in the world that you can visit than Antarctica. It's the, the coolest place in the world, and, and I don't just mean temperature-wise. It is just amazing to be there. And uh, I actually flew both times I was there because both times I went on different expeditions, uh, trying to reach the South Pole and doing climbing and then visiting the emperor penguin colonies and uh you know, I think I spent about six weeks there total, between the two trips, something like that, and uh, the first year I was actually there with Prince Harry by the way and uh, that was that I could do a whole podcast on that trip, but um we actually did not make it to the South Pole that particular trip um, and it had a little bit to do with him, but I'll get into that another time uh, but be, <laughs> but being there on Antarctica uh, you know with the people that you're there with because if you're on Antarctica and you flew there. You're an interesting person just by definition, and uh, to talk to these people and some of these polar explorers are just some of the coolest people in the world, you know, and just most interesting and and laid back, and again, like if you're there just by definition, you're into cool things and you've probably done a lot of other cool things and been successful in your life because it's not cheap and uh, it's not somewhere that everybody just wants to go. Obviously, you could do it a lot cheaper and go by boat from Argentina or Chile or um, uh, New Zealand or Australia, but um, you don't get the full scope of being on Antarctica than you do like kind of camping out there and, and really experiencing it. And, for me, the greatest moment of my life, and I really mean this, was reaching the South Pole, and uh, you know, getting further than Shackleton. Shackleton died trying to get there. Robert Falcon Scott died trying to reach the South Pole. And uh, you know, obviously, it was a hundred years later, and you know, technology and planes and stuff are a little bit different. But to to be at a latitude line and to think where you are on the world, you know, it's just like holy shit. Every single thing for me is up, you know, and this, I felt the same way when I went to the North Pole and I'm like, this is so cool. And everything on earth is below me right now. And I'm, uh, you know, still one of a handful of people uh, I think it's like four or five people in history have been to every country in both poles. So to, that's pretty cool. When I tell you we made it by the skin of our teeth at the last possible second, mm. it was just it was just so much emotion that went into it. And again, I mean, this is like six weeks of my life I spent trying to to do this, and uh, and to finally do it was just so cool. And to stand at the geographic South Pole where so many people had tried and failed and and died. And um, it's just almost like a mythological place. Uh, it's like you know, an ancient seven wonder of the world. So few people have ever been there. And um, you know, there's a fun- I have a funny story, actually. When I was at the South Pole, so they have South Pole Station, which is a US base, essentially, and it's, uh, it's enclosed. So I wanted to get a passport stamp for me and my group of uh, friends who I was down there with. And they wouldn't let us in. So when the Canadian um, uh, airline pilot, he went there and he knocked on the door. And uh, the Americans were like, yeah, no, we're not going to stamp their passport today. So he comes back and says, sorry, guys, they're not going to do it. I go, give me the fucking passports. So I, I take the nine passports. I go out there, bang on the door. And then you know, I'm just like listen, I'm not going to go away here. I'm at the South Pole. You're going to stamp the passport. And they're like, all right, come on in. You just do it yourself. It's over there on the left. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> how hard was that, Canadians? Come on, be assertive.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was important to get that official site. There's actually a passport stamp that says South Pole, though, huh?
2: Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, there's yeah, I have two, actually, in my passport. And it's uh, one of my most uh, cherished. Uh, it is my most cherished passport stamp, without question. That in Pitcairn Island, I have to say.
0: I know how you bounce around. I think for you, even more than me, stillness is a challenge. Being still and and, and staying in one place. There are various reasons, various motivations for those kind of feelings for for a lot of us. Um, I lost my dad when I was young. I saw how precious time was. I saw how putting things off and and counting on years to to do something was a bad idea. I know for you, working for Canterford's Fitzgerald. Uh, the trauma of September 11th was extremely real and visceral and powerful and continues to be. How did that sort of change your perspective,ly on wanting to go everywhere and do everything you possibly could?
2: Well, that was uh, one of the seminal moments in my life uh, for obvious reasons, but at the same time, it also, uh, you know, I saw the people who didn't make it. And like one of my best friends was like, I always say he'll be 23 forever. And uh, you know, Seeing that anything could happen on any given Tuesday, uh, it just motivated me to get out and do the things that I wanted to do and live my life the way I wanted to do it. Not that I didn't already have that, but that really just cemented it in my mind. And uh, I uh, lost both my parents at a young age as well. And, um, you know, so the combination of all those uh, traumatic experiences really just made me want to live my life and uh, have no regrets because you never know. And, um, you know, in Uh, a short period of time I'll be older than my mother was when she passed away and that's a weird thing to think about and uh, you know I want to make sure that I do everything I want to do in my life because you never know and hopefully I live a long life but again uh, you never know so that's been a huge motivating factor in my life and not wasting time uh, with things you want to do I always say don't put off to till tomorrow what you can do today And uh, I really tried to live my life that way, especially with uh, regards to experience because I think that is the essence of life.
0: Lee is on Instagram and Twitter and has a website, leeabamonte.com. He spells it A-B-B-A-M-O-N-T-E. On that site, he's got a travel blog, all kinds of travel tips. And he writes this, that what he has found... In his travels, is that people everywhere at their core are basically good and decent and very much the same. And I think that's a powerful message. I have always found my travels to be perspective changing, so enriching. Took my first international flight to Greece, mind blowing, still one of my favorite places. Africa, my first minute in Africa, stepping off a plane onto the tarmac in Arusha, Tanzania on a very black night and looking up at seeing millions of stars overhead and smelling a campfire in the distance. And the next night, I was camping on the ground in the Serengeti, listening to lions roar in the distance and hyenas munching on the bones at the edge of the campsite incredible there have been so many other life-altering experiences nepal and a lot of places a lot closer to home and i can't wait to get back out there there's so many places i haven't been and so many places that i want to return we'll probably do another travel episode at some point if you have any ideas or suggestions for topics you can dm me on instagram I'd appreciate it if you could leave some feedback by rating and reviewing and subscribing. As always, thanks to my co-executive producer and partner in travel, Jennifer Dempster, and my producer, Jason Weichel. I'll talk to you soon.